Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Okay. Tomorrow it starts. Tomorrow is day one of Camp X. It's going to be amazing. Shout out to all of you who are volunteering. Shout out to our kids team, so many on our youth team, so many of you who have decided to jump in and help out as 1,700 people descend on this campus and uh, get a little rowdy for Jesus. And it's going to be amazing. And was talking to our, our kids director, Miss Kate, earlier, and she said, man, something really cool, Jonathan, really cool. She said, there are more unchurched kids coming this year than ever before in the history of Camp X. That fired me up. Because we want them to experience, man, the love of Jesus. We want them to experience the hope of the gospel. And we want them to have an awesome time doing it. Amen, somebody. Come on. It's going to be a great week. Be praying, as Pastor Dave said. Please be praying for safety, for protection over all the kids, endurance and strength for all the volunteers, and it's going to be awesome. So today, Fired Up, we are diving into Ephesians. We are going to be finishing up chapter 2, specifically chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. It is a larger section of the book of Ephesians, but man, it is... It is such an important and powerful section of Scripture because right here, right here, I mean, Paul has been building to this moment. He's been laying the groundwork for a chapter and a half, talking about all the blessings that we have in Christ, talking about everything that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, forgiveness and grace and mercy and belonging and new identity and new purpose and adopted into the household of God and all these incredible things that have happened for us in salvation on the cross. He said, look, everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. All of us, there's an, an even playing field. doesn't matter if you're Jewish and, and you're a part of the heritage of faith that goes back thousands of years, or if you're Greek or Roman or Gentile, which is anybody who's non-Jewish. doesn't matter any of that. What matters now is this one simple question. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? We'll get to that in just a moment. But Paul is, is shifting things right now. He's going from this amazing declaration of, man, you've been raised to new life with Jesus. Your soul has, has gone from death to life by faith in Christ. You've been seated with him in heavenly places. This is the gift of salvation for you. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's yours. It's yours. Freely given through Jesus Christ. And he goes, now, after all that good news, after all that stuff, I mean, the, the thing that has drawn you in is the good news of the gospel. Now, it's time for the hard stuff. Here we go. <laughs> he goes, now we're going to talk about church. Church, and he uses his Greek word, ecclesia, which is gathering or assembly of people, a new community. And he goes, here's the crazy thing. The message of the gospel is for everyone. I mean, everyone, the whole world. There is no Jew, Gentile. There is no slave or free. There is just one new creation for those who turn to Jesus Christ. And all are invited. All are welcome. 
All anybody can receive the grace of God through Jesus Christ by faith. It's available. And he goes, once you've received the gospel, once you've accepted that, now there's the creation, the formation of a new community. And friends, community's hard. <laughs> Amen, anybody. Community's hard. Family is hard. Learning to love people is hard. You know, the only place you learn how to forgive somebody is when you're in community and you've been offended. Just being real, right? I don't have to learn love unless I'm around people that are hard to love by my standards. I don't have to learn patience unless I'm around people who drive me nuts. I don't have to, I don't have to grow up into maturity in the way of Christ unless I'm around people that force me to be sanctified and to grow up and to learn how to go low and to serve and to love and be selfless. You know, my selfishness is very comfortable when I'm all alone and my little world just revolves around me. It gets a lot harder when I have to like learn how to live in community with other people. And God goes, look, I've, I've got a plan. I've got a strategy. I want, I want you to grow up into the fullness and maturity in Christ. I want you to become a mature follower of Jesus. And here's my plan. I'm going to put you all together in a new community called the church. And it's going to reach the world. And y'all are going to drive each other crazy. And there's going to be divisions and there's going to be quarrels. And I'm going to have to come in and deal with things. And it's going to be messy. And it's going to be, you know, not perfect because it's full of people like you and me who are not perfect. And they're going to have to learn how to love each other because now they have a new identity. Whatever they were before, man, that's not how they're defined now. They're defined by Christ, following the way of Christ together. And Paul's like, we're about to build something totally new. It's going to look a lot different than Judaism. It's going to look a lot different than all the, the God and goddess worship of the Greeks, mythology and all the stuff. It's going to look a whole lot different than Aristotle and Plato and all the Socrates philosopher, all the stuff. It's going to look a lot different than all of that. And it's not actually going to be based at a temple or with ritualistic things to earn your way into favor with God. It's going to be based in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And it's going to bring a group of people together and they're going to follow the way of Jesus. Paul's like, I'm about to build something new. And it's going to look really weak and it's going to meet in houses at first and it's going to be a small group of people and it's going to start with the Jewish people, but then it's going to expand to the rest of the world. And he goes, even though it looks like a tiny little mustard seed right now, this thing called Ecclesia, this thing called the church, the assembly, of those who are looking to honor Jesus and follow his way in the world. It might start small, the smallest seed in the whole garden. But one day, the branches, the leaves, the shade of this tree will go to the ends of the earth. It will be translated into every tribe, tongue, language, and culture. It will supersede every barrier and wall of division that mankind puts against it, and it will change the world because Jesus is building it. And it's his plan A for the world. There's no plan B. He's like, it's my body. It's the body of Christ. It's the body of Jesus. It's the church. 
And so you, you know, you show up on Sunday, it's like, oh man, gosh, getting out of the house on Sunday morning, I mean, anybody else, it's like one of the hardest things to do every single week. It's like, man, all hell breaks against you when you decide I'm going to go to Ecclesia, to the assembly, to the congregation, to the group of people where we do something that's just kind of like a little weird, right? It's a little weird if you think about it. We show up in a room and we sing together. It's not like we watch a performance. We actually sing together words that profess what we believe about eternity and God and life in the world, and we join in corporate worship of God. We join together in this building to worship God. Out loud, with our voices. And then some guy gets up here, and he opens an ancient book, like 2,000 years old, and says, man, this is the call of God. This is the, the literal voice, the call of God to all of us to follow the way of Jesus. Let's open the book together and figure out what does that look like? And we as a community of people try to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in this day, in this culture, in this moment. And then at the very end of our service, of our time together, we, uh, we take this sorry little excuse for bread and juice <laughs> Man, if you, if you would have been at like a first century Passover meal and you would have showed them this, it'd be like, what, do you, what, what is that, you know? <laughs> but it's a symbol. And man, it doesn't matter if it's a cracker and grape juice. It doesn't matter if it's a full-on feast, a Passover land and home-baked home honey bread with a bottle of the finest wine. When it's done in remembrance of Jesus when it's done as a symbol to remember what Christ did for us. I mean, think about this. We gather and take communion every week as a statement of saying, what happened 2,000 years ago, man, it's still a part of me today. It's still a part of who we are today. This is the church. And the gathering of the church, even though it's been radically altered by COVID, by online realities, all these things, this gathering moment, as much as, man, when we scatter from this place and we go on mission and we are the hands and feet of Jesus in this community, friends, nothing replaces the gathering of God's people to lift up the name of Jesus, to come under the teaching of his word and to remember his death on the cross through communion weekly. There is something that happens in your heart and your soul and your life when you decide, when you commit to show up in this place, which is different than any other place in your life, if you think about it. It's different than anything else you're a part of on a weekly basis. Something profound happens when this becomes a rhythm in your life. And Paul knew that. The writer of Hebrews knew that. That's why they said, don't forsake the gathering together. And friends, watching online, it's good, it's important, it's a way to stay connected if you're traveling. But friends, ultimately, watching online is consuming. It's not gathering and participating. There's a difference. And man, I'm all for the reality of wanting to help people stay connected who are watching online. I'm all for wanting to give resources and help build up the church. But the ecclesia, the Greek word for church is gathering, physical gathering of people and community. And something happens in the corporate gathering. It, look, I can't put, I can't, I literally couldn't draw it on a whiteboard to show you. I have no idea, but the Holy Spirit 
begins to work in your life when you're gathered with other believers in a way that cannot happen by yourself. And there is this individualistic false idea of spirituality that says, man, I can grow to maturity on my own. Just a little, my quiet time, my Bible, a good cup of coffee in the morning. I don't need the community. The community is hard. Church is hard. There's weird people at that church. Annoying people at that church. The leadership at that church, they're crazy. You heard that guy, he just yells every week up there. But the reality is this, man, for all of its imperfections, for all of its annoyances, for all the difficulties of choosing to live into community together, you will never learn how to love others without others. You will never learn how to grow into the image of Jesus Christ unless you're around other people where you actually get to live it out with another person. Okay, that was the introduction. Let's get to the word. As a side note, here we go. Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Here's Paul, the creation of the church. Amazing. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles, that's everybody in the world who's not Jewish, used to be outsiders. You were outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. That is a racial slur used by the Jewish people against everyone else in the world. Paul is not messing around. He's not playing games. He is going for the jugular here. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it all on the line about what you all used to call each other and how you all used to treat each other because we're about to start a new family, a new community, and we gotta address all these things. So you used to be called this horrible thing by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises of God that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ, the sacrifice on the cross. Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Paul is speaking as a Jew to the Greeks, the Gentiles in Ephesus. He says, Christ has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate me and you. Now I love you and we're part of the same family if you're in Christ. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between two groups, between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled. That means he brought them back to himself, both groups to God, by means of his death on the cross. That's why we take communion every week. The cross is the center point of our faith. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. What a sentence. Our hostility was put to death. Our anger towards each other was put to death. Our division was put to death. 
He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens. You got a new passport. You're, you're a part of a new kingdom. You have a new king. You have a new identity. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple, a house for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now, in order to understand this passage of Scripture, in order to understand the entire New Testament, you have to understand what Paul is doing here with Jews and Gentiles. It is one of the primary themes of the entire New Testament. You actually won't get the New Testament unless you understand that we are dealing with one of the deepest, widest, longest standing racial, political, religious divides on the planet between the Jewish people and everyone else, whether it was the Greeks or the Romans or the Persians or the Babylonians. You see, God called this guy Abraham, Abram. And he said, Abram, from you, I'm gonna make a, a great and mighty nation. And in you and through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed. So mankind fell away from God and God said, I'm starting a rescue plan through this unique, peculiar group of people called the Israelites, the Jewish people. And they're gonna be distinct. They're gonna be set apart. They're not gonna worship all the idols of the world. They're gonna worship the one true God. And they're gonna be peculiar, different from the world. And through them, I'm gonna bring the Messiah to save the world. There was a missional plan for the Jewish people from the very beginning, but part of that plan meant that they had to stay separated from the rest of the world because the rest of the world was worshiping idols, was denying God. And he said, look, you have to be a witness to me on the earth. And so this separation, it goes deep and it goes wide. And Paul goes, look, from this group of people and this group of people, which is everyone else, God is going to form the church, an entirely new community that are focused on Jesus, that are lifting up the name of Jesus, that are, their eyes are set on Jesus. And I thought of it, I don't know, maybe you're handy, maybe you're like, you're good at home projects. I'm I'm awful at home projects. And even though I, I'm determined and I want to do them well and I believe in myself every time I get started and I watch four YouTube videos and I afterwards I am convinced I'm an expert because I've watched these things step by step. I make a material list. I go to Home Depot. I come back and it never fails. I forget something. I end up going back and forth to Home Depot over the next three days until I'm on a first name basis with every employee there. And I'm like, man, I didn't even know I needed that. Or I open up some new thing and it's like, wow, that, that's all gonna be a whole nother project I gotta deal with, right? And, and Home Depot's got everything I need, but I never end up buying it on the first trip. <laughs> Anybody else with me? I'm like, if I'm starting a house project, my wife's like, I'll see you in three days. Have fun at Home Depot. Just get a, you know, get a tent and camp in the parking lot. You're gonna need to stay there for a minute until you figure it all out. 
But I think about this thing that Paul is trying to do, and he's trying to, he's trying to take the, this, this massive division between Jew and Gentile. And he's trying to say, look, everything that used to identify you as a Jewish person, the law, the temple, you know, your, your people, your family, all these things, those can no longer be the identifying factors. The identifying factor has to be Jesus now. And you Gentiles, you Greeks, you Romans, whatever used to identify you, I'm a part of the Roman Empire. I worship this God or this goddess or I'm a part of this tribe. All of that stuff is now secondary or needs to be gone. And the identifier for you is Jesus. And so this one new people, he's saying, look, I need an identity shift for everyone. You're all dead at the foot of the cross. Your new identity is raised to new life in Christ. And so the big theme in Ephesians, the big question is this, are you in Jesus Christ? Are you connected to him by faith? Are you united, connected to Jesus by faith? And if you are, then Paul says, great, we're going to build something new here. And I think of evangelism kind of like this, right? He says, look, you're all being built up as living stones into a new temple, a dwelling place for God, a new building, a new structure, metaphorically speaking. He's like, you're all building materials. Every time I went back to Home Depot, I'm like, the picture is this. It's like evangelism, right? We need more two by fours. We need more concrete mix. We need more of all these different things that different people have in order to be the living church, the place that is built into the dwelling place of God. And I know it's not very flattering to think of yourself as a building material, but you are God's building material because what he's building is not a building. He's building a church filled with people, a community of people that gather. And in that community, the Spirit of God does amazing things. Does amazing things. It reaches cities. It changes cultures. It builds hospitals. It welcomes orphans. It, it cares for people. It loves people. It shares the good news of the gospel. So the question is this, as we are all being built together into one dwelling place for God, living stones, building materials, the question is this, are you united, connected to Christ by faith? Faith is the lifeline. It's the thing that connects you to God and everything that Jesus has for you. I thought of it like this. Anybody watch the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire back in the day? Okay, just me. That's cool. Three lifelines. Y'all remember the three lifelines? 50-50, that was the first one. If you want to like, okay, I, th I think I've got it narrowed down to two. If the 50-50 lifeline eliminates one, then I know the answer. So the 50-50, the uh, poll the audience, y'all remember that one? That always felt chaotic to me because I'm like, everyone's shouting different answers. I'm like, I wouldn't trust that lifeline, okay? The third one was phone a friend. And if, I, if I'm that guy, I know it was never on the show, but if I was on the show, I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna have like eight friends ready to roll, like sit by your phone this night. And I need like a math guy, like a pop culture guy, a history guy, a science guy. I need, I need somebody who's an expertise in all these different areas just in case the question where I need to phone a friend, I'm like, oh, I'm glad my history buff friend is one of the numbers I have, Right? It's my lifeline to get what I don't have, to get the answers that I need. And when I think about the reality of faith, and, and just, to, just to make it simple for you, if you're new to Christianity, faith is what connects you. It's your lifeline that connects you to all that Jesus has and all that you do not. 
goes like this, right? You're not perfect, but faith gives you a lifeline to Jesus who is, and his perfection becomes yours. That's how faith works, okay? Uh, you can't defeat death. Jesus can, and he did. By faith, you are connected to the lifeline of resurrection in Jesus Christ, and your soul comes to life because he's alive, right? Um, faith connects you to the forgiveness that is only found in Jesus. Faith connects you to the life that is found in Jesus, to the grace that is found in Jesus, to the family that is created by relationship with Jesus, to your inheritance and eternal life in heaven through Jesus. Friends, faith is the lifeline. That connects you to what you can't have or earn on your own. And this is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8. By grace, you have been saved through the lifeline of faith. It connects you to grace. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. And this is revolutionary stuff. And everywhere that Paul went when he preached this message, Acts 17, verse 6, says it literally turned the world upside down. Turned the world upside down because I'll read it for us. Acts 19, verse 8. Cool thing about the letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians, you can get the backstory in uh, Acts chapter 19. It's the first time Paul goes to Ephesus, and this is the story of what happened when he went there. So starting in verse eight, here's what Paul did. And he did this everywhere he went. It says this, he entered the synagogue, which was the Jewish place of worship. It's where they would listen to the reading of the law from the rabbis. So he entered the synagogue and for three months, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So he's in there telling them, Jesus is away. The kingdom of God is at hand. You've got to repent and turn to Christ like forsake the law. You don't need to make sacrifices in the temple. Turn to Christ. Okay, not a popular message among the Jewish people. Verse nine, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way. I love that. Christianity was called the way. It's like the road that you walk on in Acts. It was the way, the following the way of Jesus. Before the congregation, they spoke evil of it. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. It goes on, verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, both Jews and Gentiles. So he shows up first to the Jews. He goes to the synagogue. He's reasoning daily. The synagogue would look something like this. It would be a, a smaller building. The, uh, the scrolls of the law of Torah would be kept in this, in this little shrine-looking thing and be opened by the rabbi. And on the Sabbath day, he would come out and he would read from the scrolls to all the people that were gathered. And then he would teach them how to not break the law. Follow the law. Make sure you don't break the law. If you break the law, well, then that's okay because at that time, they still had a temple where you could go and make sacrifice for your sins. So the Torah was explained in all these synagogues all throughout the ancient Near East, all the way from Jerusalem to Ephesus, Rome, and beyond, synagogues everywhere. But the temple was the center point. This was the place where God dwelt. This was the place where when you 
When, when the, the sins of the entire nation had to be atoned for, the high priest once a year on the day of atonement would go in and sacrifice an unblemished lamb. This was a place where Israel was made right with God. The synagogue was the place where they learned how to not be wrong with God. And so these two things were very, very important to the Jewish people. And Paul comes in and he goes, you don't need the temple anymore. And you don't need the law anymore. You have Jesus. You just need him. He was the final sacrifice. He was the final Passover lamb, sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he fulfilled the entire law for you. So you just need Jesus. Now, that basically flew in the face of everything that they had ever lived for and ever been taught for a very long time. And so it was not a popular message. In fact, the Jewish people tried to kill Paul, who was a Jew, many times. So he left after three months. He took a few disciples with him. He went to the hall of Tyrannus. Shout out Jurassic Park, World War, whatever, three. That, was, that, that did not land. Okay, Tyrannus, whatever. Uh, okay, Acts 19, verse 23. He leaves and goes to the hall of this really rich guy in Ephesus. And every day he reasons for two years with all the Greeks in Ephesus, along with some Jewish converts who came with him. They were like, man, Jesus is the Messiah. And for two years, he reasons among the people. And it says, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. People came through to hear this new idea. This new philosopher said, hey, there's only one God. Now, here's the problem. Paul didn't just make the Jewish people mad by saying, hey, Jesus fulfilled the law and you don't need the temple anymore. He also made the Ephesian people mad, the Greeks mad. Here's the fun thing about the gospel. It offends all all of us, and it calls all of us. There's some part of us in every single one of us that needs to repent and say, Lord, I'm not, I am not you. I'm not God. I'm not perfect. I need to lay idols down in my own life, but I'm looking to you as my savior. The gospel offends everyone and invites everyone at the same time. Acts 19 verse 23. Here's what happens next. About that time, there arose no small disturbance concerning the way. In other words, big disturbance was happening. Verse 24, a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These, these silver shrines, I'll show you. This right here is a temple, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. It's no longer standing today. I love that little fact because the church is standing all over the world. The temple of Artemis is gone. So they would make shrines to the goddess Artemis, silver shrines, so that if you went to the temple to worship, you could purchase a silver shrine and bring it home. And that way, if, if you couldn't make it to the temple to pray or to sacrifice, you had a shrine in your house that you could still worship and pray to and sacrifice. They made a lot of money on this. Okay, he says, this brought no little business to the craftsmen. So Demetrius gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. We make a lot of money. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul, this guy over in the hall of Tyrannus, right? He has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. 
So these little silver shrines that we're making, he's saying they're meaningless. This goddess Artemis that we worship, he's saying she's not even real. She doesn't exist. This is not helpful for our business, friends, okay? He goes on. He goes, there is a danger, not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. He goes on. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was so filled with confusion, they rushed together into the theater, dragging Gaius and Aristarchus, the Macedonians who were with with Paul as his companions in travel. Paul wanted to go in among them, but the disciples would not let him go, fearing for his life. So here we have Paul making the Jewish people mad in Ephesus and causing a riot in Ephesus because he's saying all these temples with all these gods and goddesses that you worship, they're nothing. This is just a little piece of silver that Demetrius made and he's making money on you right now. This is nothing. There is no goddess Artemis. There's one true God, Yahweh. And he came down to this earth and his son, Jesus, and he died for your sins. And you have the, op- you have the opportunity to be brought into the presence of God to receive new life through his son, Jesus Christ, by faith in him. That's your lifeline. That's your connecting point. You don't have to make sacrifices here. You don't have to worship here. All you need to do is believe in your heart that God, Yahweh, the one true God of the world, sent his son to save the world from their sins and to defeat death. And if you believe and you begin to follow the way of Jesus, you're going to be a part of this new community called the church, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people. It's amazing. Paul was telling everyone, abandon your temples. To the Jewish people, you don't need any more sacrifices. The last one was made. To the Greeks, Artemis doesn't exist. Abandon your temples. He goes, here's the one that's going to absolutely blow all your minds. You are now living stones being built up into the place where the one true God lives. So that looks pretty awesome. It's one of the seven wonders of the world, but it's nothing compared to what God is going to do in and through you as you follow the way of Jesus in this world. It's nothing. In fact, you know, Paul didn't say this, but he's like, in a few hundred or thousand years, that's going to be a pile of rubble on the ground. And no one's going to be talking about Artemis, but the ends of the earth and every tribe, tongue, and language are going to be singing songs of praise to Jesus. And his church is going to go to the ends of the earth. So this whole thing is nothing. It's just rocks. You're alive. You're living stones. And this church is going to be like, Nothing the world has ever seen before. It's going to be the, the, the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. He goes, but first, if this is going to happen, you have to lay down the identities that divide you. I mean, just think about the division in our culture, the dividing lines of our world today. Humans divide ourselves over anything feasible. 
I mean, what, what Paul is trying to do here, I mean, essentially, just take the most far left political person you know and the most far right political person you know and put them at the same dinner table, just like Thanksgiving, praise God, everybody, and say, hey, yeah, I know there's some big disagreements here. I know there's some worldview issues here, but I want to talk to you about Jesus and the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. And so, you know, whatever little warring kingdoms that you have going on down here, ultimately, I want everyone to follow him. And that means there's going to be some areas in your own little huddles and tribes that everybody has to let go of. There's going to be some, there's going to be some far right things you got to let go of and some far left things you got to let go of if you're going to follow the way of Jesus. Because I'm just going to say it. Being a Republican is not necessarily the same thing as being a Christian. And being a Democrat is not the same thing as being a Christian. Whoo! We're hitting it, okay? Those two words aren't even in here. And I understand there are policies and there are ethical things that, man, definitely are in here. And those things matter. And guess what? Politics does matter. And Christians should be raising their voice in the political sphere to stand for things that we do believe are righteous and true according to Scripture. But friends, friends, if it gets to a point where you can't learn to sit across the table and lean towards somebody in love and say, hey, together let's follow the way of Jesus. And if we have to let some things go along the way, that's part of being a Christian. Just, just think about what the Jewish people had to let go of to share a table with a Greek person. The law, the thing they had lived by their entire lives had told them, if I associate with you, I become dirty. And the Greeks on the other side are like, man, those are those weird, exclusive, like angry people. We don't like them either. They only worship one God. Who does that? There's a whole lot of gods to worship. That's weird. I mean, the, the divisions and like, think about the oppression, the political oppression of Rome on the Jewish people, of the Greeks on the Jewish people. All these, all these, I mean, it was racial, it was political, it was worldviews, all these ideologies. It was Man, we think our dividing lines are deep and wide. This goes back thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. And Paul goes, until you all come with humility to the foot of the cross and say, I'm worshiping King Jesus and I'm surrendering to his way, you will remain divided in your own tribes. And you will never become the ecclesia, the gathering of people that are called to walk in love together to reach the world. You'll be too busy fighting over things that aren't going to be here in 10 billion years. They may not even be here in 100 years. Why don't you fight for the cause of something that's going to last for eternity? Be about the business of Jesus. Man, we want to be a church that is known as Jesus people. Jesus people. People that love Christ. Man, somebody like starts to, to poke in onto your life and what are you about and who are you? I don't know, but man, I'm a wretch and I was saved by grace and I love Jesus with everything in my heart. Have you met Jesus yet? Do you know him? I, I'm a mess. I've got issues. I've, you know, all these sort of things. But man, I'm, I'm on this journey of sanctification following him. We're Jesus people. We're, we're defined by God's word. We follow the way of Christ. This is who we're called to be. And I'll close with this. I know we're 
We're already over on time, but this is so near to my heart. Paul closes in Ephesians 2. He says, you are citizens, saints, and family members of God. You have a new citizenship. You have a new identity, and you're part of a new family. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel declares over your life. So that should change some things about how we choose to live and what we choose to, to chiefly identify ourselves with. This is Christianity 101. And, and here Paul is stepping into the middle of this. And I'll never forget when my first trip to Israel, and I'll, I'll invite the band to come out with this. We'll close with this. We had the opportunity on the last day of our trip, the very last day of our trip to have communion, to share communion together outside of one of the traditional burial places of Jesus, the garden tomb. And I'll never forget, we're there, we're about to have communion and this, this man walks up with a full-on Orthodox rabbi, I don't, I, I don't think outfits right, like robes, the hat, the, the hair, the beard, the whole thing. And if there is one group of people that hate Christians to this day in Israel, it is Orthodox Jewish people. They are the Pharisees, the modern day rabbis. They are the ones who, who really believe that Jesus is the worst heresy to ever come to Israel. And this man was standing there with a smile on his face and up next to him walks a Palestinian a former Palestinian Arab Muslim. Okay, you think you got some people you disagree with. When was the last time you shot an RPG at them? Okay, this is happening every day between the Jewish people and Gaza. And here we are with a Palestinian Arab who's converted to Christ and an Orthodox Jewish rabbi who had been converted to Christ. And they said, hey, we're gonna share communion with you today in front of the empty tomb of Jesus, okay? And I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, man, America's divided on a lot of lines right here, but this, this is a way deeper canyon that goes back thousands and thousands of years, older than our nation is by thousands of years. And these two guys are standing as brothers in Christ. They've been exiled by their entire communities because they turned to Jesus by their families. And, and the, the rabbi, he breaks the bread with tears in his eyes. He goes, this is the body of Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua, broken for you. Eat and be thankful for what he's done for you. His body was crushed for you on the cross. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility between me and my brother here. And then the, the Palestinian Arab who had come to Christ said, this is the blood of Christ shed for you on the cross so that we can be one together in love and change the world with Christ. Friends, I'd never seen anything like that in my life. It's one of the most powerful communion moments I'd ever experienced. And it was made possible by the cross of Christ in the empty tomb. And so whatever your primary identity is today, what Paul, what the gospel would say to you is this, lay it down if it is anything other than Jesus Christ. Your primary identity is as a follower of Jesus, a son or a daughter of God. And your calling is to follow the way of Jesus by learning about it in the scriptures and learning to live in community, even though it's messy and it's hard. 
together by being the church. It's what we're called to do, who we're called to be, and it all starts with communion, the cross and the resurrection. I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna take communion together. I know it was a lot today, I know it was heavy, but man, there is such joy in the reality of Jesus and the cross. And this, Ephesians gives us no options. This has to become our identity. So Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you, your body was broken for us. Your blood was shed for us. Thank you that you broke down the dividing wall of hostility so that a new community can be formed, one that is following the way of Jesus. And our primary identity is in Christ. Lord, as we gather and remember you today, I pray in our hearts, you would begin to change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.